You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic. We meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? Are you ready to once again fire up the UFC live event train? You ready to get started with this thing again? I suppose I am. You, you seem fired up. I don't know if it's maybe you just seem louder than usual or if you seem more energized than usual. I was came in a little hot there on the mic. I turned turned myself down a little bit, to be honest with you. This uh, I will say this about our current recording uh, system here at Zencaster. It's a little bit uh, can be a little bit uh, in you know there's a lot of uh, ups and downs. It can be a little little bit uh, in in. It's not constant. What word am I looking for here? It's a little touchy. It's a little consistent. Uh, it's a little inconsistent. There you go. I thought maybe you were trying to bring a little extra enthusiasm, maybe see if Spotify is paying attention, throw us some of that Joe Rogan money. There's got to be somebody out there who's looking to compete with what Spotify is doing, right? And they're like, what podcast can we get that appeals to just a tiny sliver of the same audience and will take a fraction of the price, honestly, in order to completely sell out to us? And here we are. We got Chad Dennis yelling at him and, and letting him know. Look no further. The CME Podcast, and friends. This week's Coming Event Podcast is going to be a four-hour-long discussion about an all-meat-eating diet. Okay. I'm That's into that. Yeah. No more vegetables. We're just going to eat wild game, venison, various uh, various uh, different meats. We're just going to uh, – the more exotic, the better. And that's wow. what we'll talk about for four hours. I have as many as one kettlebells in the garage. I can go get that. See, we're already on our way here. There you go. We're on our way. Uh, kids, if you haven't already, go over and sign up for the CME Patreon page. Uh, basically, you get more of that sweet co-main event podcast content that you crave. For starters, there's the Friday Power Hour podcast, which is basically just another hour every single week of me and Ben talking about fights. Then there's the Wednesday live chat where you guys get to ask us any questions that your little heart desires. We spend yet another hour answering them. If that's not good enough, we've got our special movie club podcast that come out on Wednesdays. Right now, we've got a vote up for the patrons to choose what our next movie club is. This is a very uh, this is a very unorthodox matchup here. You've got Uncut Gems 2019. That's my choice going up against Ben's uh, 2010 pick of McGruber which uh, a little outside the box there for folks with that pick right now, uncut gems is out in the lead 55% to 45%. So if you happen to be a a MacGruber mark, this might be your chance to jump over there, join the Patreon and, uh, and help, you know, make life fair. Have a, you've got one vote to make life fair over there at the CME Patreon page. I assume all the MacGruber marks are waiting for the last minute to really make our sprint push us ahead. Yeah, that's that sounds like something that would happen. That sounds it like a viable like the kind plan. of people the MacGruber audience is. Do you think that if there's a last second change in the vote and MacGruber surges ahead to defeat Uncut Gems, that I will have no choice but to sit in my office and go MacGruber like that? I mean, that is kind of how I picture you most of the time. Just yeah, 
So why not? Why not? I mean, either way it goes, though, I, I will gladly watch Uncut Gems again. Although, I just hope you're ready, if that one wins, for probably the most stressful movie viewing experience of your life. I've been trying to steal myself for it. And I know that this is the only way that I'm going to either be able to make time or to talk myself into watching it. So that's why it's my choice again this week. Using, using the CME movie club for your own personal gain. Have you guys got your copy of The Blaze yet? Well, speaking of personal gain, if not, you better get on it. It's my new novel. It's a mystery and thriller. I've been hearing a lot from the little co-maniacs out there, and they think it's pretty good. Run out and grab The Blaze today when on whatever format you like to do your reading. Remember, if you have read it and you'd liked it, be sure to leave me a five-star review over on Amazon, Amazon or Goodreads or wherever, wherever you like. Those reviews help out the book. So do me a favor. Buy, read, rate, and review The Blaze Wherever fine books are sold, one more plug this week. Don't forget you can get your CME merchandise over at cottonbureau.com. We got those for sale. We got uh, Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts for sale. We got Dundasso t-shirts for sale. They're always available on demand all the time whenever you want them. Just go over to cottonbureau.com. Get yourself some CME merchandise today. We got music again this week from our guy, friend of the show, Rash Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on this episode, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-R-A-S, RAS, Stockholm RAS. That's R-A-S, Stockholm RAS. Stockholm Three RAS. rounds. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. And round number one, popular fighter thinks he'll be remembered as the GOAT once it's all said and done. And other stories from Conor McGregor's weekend, trolling the competition. And in round number two, Dana White might spend a month living on Fight Island or... He might buy a casino, or he might just become a full-time golf better. Who knows? But with new rules exempting pro athletes uh, from your regulations on travel restrictions, do we even need Fight Island anymore? And in round number three, what's really going on with UFC Fight Night 176 coming up this Saturday night? All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Chad Zanger, who writes, if the UFC were to announce GSP versus Conor McGregor at 170 pounds for the New Year's Eve card in Las Vegas, would it do more pay-per-view buys than McGregor versus Habib did? It's a little bit of a, 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 an out-of-the-box question here, a little bit out of left field. I don't know if we're really talking about the possibility of McGregor versus GSP. Obviously, we'll talk about Connor a little bit more in round number one and what might be going on with him. But Ben, if we did somehow coax George St. Pierre out of whatever uh, perfect life you got to imagine he's living up there north of the border, is this the biggest selling fight in UFC history? 175-pound championship or interim championship fight maybe between Connor McGregor and uh, George St. Pierre. You say 175-pound? We're creating a new weight class for this one? I assume that by this point, the 165 will be in operation okay. and we'll have yeah. no choice but to bump up all the weight classes a little bit. No, I mistake. I misspoke there, sir. I'm sorry. 170-pound welterweight fight, Conor McGregor against George St. Pierre. I'm going to answer your question with a question. And this – I apologize in advance for being so controversial with this question, Chad. But I'm going to say it anyway. Do people still remember George St. Pierre? Or rather – do enough people still remember the real George St. Pierre, the George St. Pierre who was a UFC superstar who moved all those units on pay-per-view? Does he come back right now and people are still like, oh, yeah, no, I, 
I recognize the value of this guy and where he stands in the all-time great conversations, and I am just as excited to see it. Or if he were to come back, you know, may, end of this year, early next year, or something to, for a big money fight with Conor McGregor, is that where we realize, like, okay, the the fan base has moved on a little bit, and GSP doesn't have the same cachet that he once did. I don't think so. Like it was less than three years ago, as we sit here and record this today, that he came back and beat Michael Bisping to win the middleweight title. Uh, and granted, that's the guy's only fight since 2013. So maybe there's a little bit of a of a lapse there, and people that remember GSP or people that would that would turn out to watch a fight with him. But I gotta believe that, especially up there in Canada, there's a legion of fans, maybe some of whom have drifted away from the sport over these last handful of years, when maybe the UFC's uh, attentions were pulled in different directions. They didn't necessarily put the emphasis on the Canadian market that they had in the past. You know, after losing George St. Pierre, after letting Rory McDonald go off on his own journey of free agency. But I bet that there are a lot of maybe even lapsed MMA fans up there in Canada who would uh, have their ears uh, pricked up by the opportunity to watch George St. Pierre fight Conor McGregor at 170 pounds. And I'm going to come out and say, I think it would. I think it would be the biggest selling fight in UFC history, I think it would have a good chance to beat Conor versus Habib, uh, especially just the the notoriety maybe of Conor McGregor moving up to try to get yet another UFC title and yet another weight class, whether or not he deserved the opportunity or not. Uh, wait, wait, I think wait, 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 hold on. The pot hold on. a little bit. Where's the title coming from? Where's if he goes up to 170 pounds and he fights George St. Pierre, who is not the current title holder? Are we are we making up a BMF part two or what are we doing? Where's where's the title belt coming from? I think you know as well as I do that there's no way we would be putting this fight on a poster without figuring out some damn way to get some gold on there. See, I was going to say one of the things that I would like about maybe a GSP versus McGregor fight if we need to put McGregor in some kind of super fight to make the pay-per-view money as opposed to another McGregor versus Khabib fight with the thinnest of possible pretexts for doing that is that this way at least you could not hold up any division in a meaningful way. You could you could do yourself a, a big fight, a couple of big superstars that are going to bring in a ton of buys just with their name value alone, and you don't need the gold on the poster in order to sell a whole bunch of pay-per-views. And that way, the, the business, the serious business of various UFC divisions and their, their title hunts can proceed unimpeded. That, I think, would be one of the benefits to doing a fight like that. Because you don't need, you don't need these guys to have any kind of hardware for them to fight over. GSP versus Conor McGregor, boom, that's going to do a, a whole lot of buys probably. You don't need to have like some kind of fake championship for them to fight over. This is the, the MMA version of the money belt though, right? Is it not? If you do this fight, because really there's no reason to do it, aside from the fact that we think these guys might both still be incredibly popular. How about if they each bring a belt from home, like, a, like an actual belt to wear with pants, the nicest belt they think they have. And that's up to personal discretion. Like Conor McGregor brings like a Gucci belt. Maybe GSP has like some kind of Versace thing or whatever. They, they both bring just a really nice, understated, classy, functional belt. And then winner take all. You know, that's not a bad idea because I bet both these guys have some pretty damn expensive belts. I bet they do. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to have be able to tell that story for either one of those guys? You know, if you're, if you're Conor McGregor and be out, out in a nightclub somewhere in the VIP – be like, oh, I see you admiring my belt, he says to someone who was just gazing off into the distance. Funny story about this belt. I actually won this in a professional fight against George St. Pierre. That's right, that George St. Pierre. 
Anywho, that's how I come to own the belt. Here's my question for you. If the UFC right now is is just flat turning its nose up at a fight like Francis Ngannou versus John Jones, maybe because it would cost them more money, maybe because the fighters try to negotiate the deal in public, who knows? But if if the UFC's uh, matchmaking philosophy right now is, hey, you know, we're making enough money, just kind of throwing out these these run-of-the-mill everyday fights. We don't necessarily need to to break the bank to put a super fight together right now. What are the odds that, that they would seriously consider a fight like this where you know both guys will 100% insist on getting paid a lot of money? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends like where you think the money is coming from. Is it coming up front from the UFC? Is it coming in a cut of the pay-per-views? that I think is going to be a big part of the difference because that's one thing for the UFC to be like, we will pay you out of the proceeds of the fight. And if there are more proceeds out of the fight, then you get paid more. And that really lowers the risk for the UFC as opposed to just being like, especially with John Jones, I think maybe the calculation there, as you said, some of it was, I'm sure having him hold you over a barrel in public and he's like live tweeting the negotiations basically. And you know, other people are paying attention to that. And maybe that's a precedent you don't want to set. But also, I think there was a possibility. You've had John Jones stuck at five hundred grand flat fee before pay per view bonuses for a while now. And if you up his pay to have him come up to heavyweight, then what are you going to do after that? Does he come back down to light heavyweight and go back down to five hundred thousand a fight? With GSP and Conor Gregor, both for somewhat different reasons, maybe you feel like you don't have that part of it anymore like you're not thinking so far ahead to what about the next time we turn around and have a fight with one of these guys because anytime one of these guys fights might be the last time so maybe that's not such a, a huge concern anymore i don't know all right next question this week comes to us from john tiller who writes the reebok deal is up for renewal pretty soon whenever i see old ufcs and the fighters aren't in their reebok deal it looks kind of strange Firstly, it does give the fighters more room to show their unique characters, but the uniformity that Reebok brings certainly gives the sport a more professional sheen. Going forward, do you think that a little more creativity in individual designs, say a lioness patch for Amanda Nunes, uh, could benefit both parties? Yes, but for whatever reason, it seems like Reebok's already decided we're not really doing that. Because there's been plenty of opportunities to do that before now, right? Like we've, We've been doing this for like seven damn years. And I think that there's absolutely a chance that not only if you put a little more time and effort into individualized stuff, whether it's just design stuff or or color schemes or whatever for fighters, not only do you help kind of build the fighters and and allow them to show a little something that people can remember, but you also probably increase the chance that maybe somebody actually wants to buy some of this stuff later on, you know, like in a store online, like they, they want to buy something that represents their favorite fighter and, and wear it around. And Yet, it just seems like everybody's kind of decided, eh, not worth it. Like, look how long it took Bryce Mitchell like, uh, talking about uh, camo shorts. That's like the easiest goddamn thing in the world to do. It's not even like you have to come up with a whole new design. or anything. We all know what fucking camo looks like, man. Like, it, it ought to be pretty simple to get some camo shorts out there. And yet it proved not to be quite so simple. I think maybe part of the problem is they think, if we do some lioness shorts for Amanda Nunes, then... Where do we draw the line to tell somebody, okay, you're not a big enough deal to ask for your own thing. This other person is, you're not. Like, I think maybe that's one of the things that that's a road they probably just, the UFC didn't even want to go down. 
is it possible that we're starting to see a softening, a thaw, perhaps in in the ability for fighters to to leverage that you know their their modest celebrity into more individual individual styles from Reebok. You know, you talked about Bryce Mitchell. It seems like after several fights where he's wanted it, maybe they will finally get him his own tie dyed shorts. And of course, you got your your guy Brian Kelleher out here who just beat Hunter Rizur, uh during the uh, UFC on ESPN plus card on Wednesday in Jacksonville a couple weeks back. He really wants the tie dyed shorts. Uh, he wants to go out there uh, uh, and fight Sean O'Malley next. He's lobbying to get tie dyed shorts. Uh, now that we've been in, in business here for a while with Reebok and like the, uh, the emailer says, we could be closing in on what I think we all believe is a renewal for, uh, for more Reebok, in the UFC moving forward, is there a possibility that we're going to loosen the strings a little bit here, that we're going to get a little bit more uh, on the same page with what, with what fighters want and maybe in terms of a little bit more individuality? Yeah. I mean, I go back and forth about the question of does the UFC see the lack of individuality and the fighters inability to like the, the, the difficulty fighters face and getting a lot of people to care specifically about them. Does the UFC see that as a feature or a bug? of the modern system. Like we've talked about it before that especially, you know, the Reebok stuff seems like a, a minor deal. But then when you think about some of the iconic looks of MMA in the past, like Tito Ortiz and the flame shorts and Chuck Liddell and the Iceman shorts, Anderson Silva with the black and yellow stuff, all that kind of stuff that's so synonymous with the fighter themselves that helped them become big stars and people we really remember. And maybe the UFC sees it as, well, if they don't become big stars, then you never have to pay them big star money. And yeah. if you are running a situation where, uh, based on your different broadcast deals and your TV rights deals, you're getting paid just for producing the content, then you want the talent to come as cheaply as possible. Yeah, I mean, if we had to guess, it seems like they probably see it as a feature at this point, especially uh, you know in this modern age where we're kind of just trying to put have an assembly assembly line where we crank out as many of these fight cards as possible uh, right in a row. Uh, and at the same time, I think you got to look around and you got to say, well, it's not as though the Reebok apparel deal seems as though it has hampered the creation of new stars. You know, we've seen people like Israel Adesanya come along uh, and feel like a fully realized personality in the UFC landscape. You know, Conor McGregor largely uh, soared to the heights of his own celebrity and fame during the Reebok deal. And he's one of the few guys who seems like he has a slightly individualized short style at this point with the kind of Irish green that he wears in the cage a lot of the time. So like, I don't know, I don't necessarily know uh, if the U, if the Reebok deal has prevented the UFC from, from making new stars. If I was the UFC, I might look around and think this is all going pretty well. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I guess on one hand, we'll never know. And on the other hand, uh, it would be nice, I think from a fan standpoint to have a little bit more creativity to be seen inside the octagon and, and, and oh yeah, maybe a system where uh, not only do the fighters have a say, but they get a little bit more of a cut of the proceeds rather than just the, uh, what do they call it these days? Compliance pay that they That's get. Right. For, Promotional for guidelines, yeah. compliance pay. Yeah. My, you know, maybe it might be a, in a perfect world, we cut them in on some of the overall money. Next question this week comes to us from uh, UFC fighter, Ryan Hall. Okay, says, that's good to hear. I love, your, I love your podcast as much as I love heel hooks. Oh, see, it must Good be question. really him. It's yeah, got to be him. That's how you know. 
Really seems like Ryan Hall. Uh, quick question. Will you be following the lead of the JRE podcast and putting up episodes on Spotify? Now, Ryan Hall, I got to correct you on a fact. Co-main event podcast already available over on Spotify. We just don't have a big money exclusive deal with Spotify. Yet. Then, yet. That's right. When this thing broke the last week or so, and now we think Joe Rogan has gotten somewhere in the neighborhood of $190 million to sign an exclusive licensing deal and move the JRE podcast uh, exclusively over to Spotify. Uh, what were your thoughts? What, what, how did you even wrap your head around this kind of money and this kind of a deal for Joe Rogan? You know, it's interesting. I was reading a thing today in the New York Times, and it was uh, – I don't even know quite how to describe it because it's in the opinion section, I guess, but also – a little bit of an interview by Barry Weiss with uh, Joe Rogan where she seems like she's texting back and forth with him a little bit about the news, but also writing in an opinion form about kind of what this shows us about the current media landscape. And it, it's kind of wide ranging about, you know, why the popularity of podcasts and where it fits into the media landscape and everything. But one of the points she kind of makes is that we may need to recalibrate our sense of what mainstream media actually means because we've come to think of it as you know newspapers and major tv networks and that's kind of the mainstream media and then mainstream media became this like pejorative term like you see people on fox news being like the most watched cable channel and still talking about oh the mainstream media won't report on this and it's like what is mainstream if it's not you guys you nobody watches another cable channel more than they watch this one like how is that not mainstream and her argument is kind of that joe rogan and stuff you look at the size of his platform and his audience and everything that he is a mainstream media, even if it doesn't look necessarily like what we in the past have come to think about mainstream media. And I think that there's a, a real argument to be made there. And I don't know. I mean, on one hand, one of the really interesting things about it in the very beginning, she asks him like, uh, she congratulates him and she's like, how rich are you now? Like how much richer? And his reply says, quote, weirdly richer. He replied, like it doesn't register seems fake, which is sounds like exactly how I'd expect Joe Rogan to respond to this news of him getting just an unthinkable amount of money for his podcast. And, you know, good for him, I guess. In the, the when I, It makes me wonder, I guess this is just the MMA fan to me that it just makes me immediately start like to think like, how does this impact his relationship to the world of MMA? Do you think not at all? Do you think like he – because he already for a while now has been on this trajectory where it seemed like he was way less concerned with pissing off somebody at the UFC by saying the wrong thing and by sharing his real opinions regardless of whether it squared with what the UFC might have wanted to hear from him. It seemed like he's already kind of at the point where I'll do the big shows that I want to do but I'm, I don't need to do you know fight night Topeka anymore. Like he'd already been on that track for a while. Does this change anything for him? Does it make his exit from the sport seem like inevitable or like it'll happen sooner? Or do you think he just continues doing the same amount of UFC stuff because he likes it? Yeah, I was going to bring up that same question. And in some ways, I think you got to look at a deal like this as kind of like a cash out moment for, for Joe Rogan, like almost not to not to suggest that he will like stop doing his podcast or stop doing the UFC or anything like that but like it almost feels to me like uh when the Fertitas sold the UFC to uh WMEIMG for 4.2 billion dollars like the money was just so huge that and I think that there had been a sense around 
that company for a while that they had put so much time and effort and money into making the UFC into the product that it is today, that it was time for them to get theirs and that they would you know, take this money and cash out and give up on this passion and, and, and give it to WME IMG. And, and it's not that that's a, a perfect parallel to what Joe Rogan is doing, but it does kind of feel like taking $190 million or $200 million, whatever it is from Spotify feels like a similar kind of move to me. Like where, I mean, clearly he was already making millions of dollars off his podcast annually, but to move exclusively over to to Spotify is a move that's going to assumably restrict your audience quite a bit. It's going to limit your reach more than what you had been doing in the past and how that, how it fully affects like the amount of Joe Rogan stuff that shows up on YouTube and all this other all these other kind of ancillary questions, I guess we won't know yet, but like clearly Spotify is hoping that, that a huge portion of Joe Rogan's audience follows him over to this exclusive platform on Spotify. But you got to think that, that some people won't. And so for Joe Rogan, it's a question of, you know, taking the money while at the same time, potentially limiting your reach. And, and to me that that's like a significant choice to make where, you know, the money is so great. You, you feel as though you need to take it even though it's going to mean you, maybe your podcast is not quite as ubiquitous as it once was and like how that affects his relationship with the UFC. I don't necessarily know if we will know for a while, clearly he does his UFC gig because he loves it. He like Joe Rogan doesn't necessarily have to keep doing the color commentary gig on the UFC, but clearly it's like one of the things that he feels a great deal of passion for. But I also wonder like if having this kind of money will just make life feel different for Joe Rogan once it sets in and once it becomes real to him that he he has this money. Because for a long time, Joe Rogan's life has basically been, you know, go to whatever city the UFC is having a a an event in, like do a comedy show while you're there, do color commentator job on on the broadcast and then either go home or go go to the next one, right? And he's already kind of slimmed down his schedule over the last couple of years. He's already talked a little bit on and off kind of about how much he doesn't or he doesn't know like how much longer he would continue to be the uh, the color commentator on the UFC events. Uh, but And I wonder if like having this money will only eventually exacerbate that feeling, just sort of be like, man, I don't want to go to Buffalo or I don't want to go to uh, you know, New York City, wherever they're having the next big UFC pay-per-view event and stay in a hotel for however long I have to stay in a hotel and then do the seven-hour broadcast. I wonder if eventually he will feel like maybe I'm happier, you know, either just staying home or doing the things that we know Joe Rogan likes to do uh, rather than sort of like being beholden to this UFC schedule. I'm not sure which way that that would play out. Yeah, I also think maybe like to your point about the audience that won't necessarily all follow him over to Spotify. That was one of the first thoughts I, I thought when I had this when I, when I heard this news. It was like I was like, okay, Joe Rogan's audience seems like in some ways uniquely primed to get super fucking pissed about something like that. Like yeah. we got to all go over there to Spotify, but it also seems like a lot of them are such hardcore fans of the podcast that even if they get pissed initially they don't want to miss out on the podcast and they, there's something about them will really appreciate Joe Rogan taking these people to the cleaners for $190 million or whatever it is. And they, they got to respect the the grind of that. So they'll eventually relent and go over there. And I also wonder for Joe Rogan, if there's some benefit to freeing yourself a little bit from being connected to YouTube, because I don't know if you've listened to the rabbit hole podcast that they was kind of a, a splinter off of the New York times, the daily that I heard about. And then, 
they've been doing a multi-part look at uh, kind of like YouTube, the, the way the internet is rewiring our brains a lot. But a lot of it deals with YouTube and the way the YouTube algorithm uh, tends to just radicalize people in whatever direction they're already starting. And like that, it's just made so that whatever content you start out, it'll just show you more and more extreme versions of that. And, you know, a lot's been written and, and said about that already. But Joe Rogan is definitely a part of that. And he gets in that way, he gets lumped in with a lot of people he might rather not be lumped in with. And like, it's the reason why when I go to a YouTube, it's always trying to show me Jordan Peterson videos. And I'm like, I've never watched one of this guy's videos in my life. Why do you think that I'm into that? And I realize, oh, it's because I do watch MMA stuff on YouTube. A lot of it, you make the leap from MMA to Joe Rogan and from Joe Rogan to like Jordan Peterson. And then like from there, like just to weird alt-right stuff that I'd never be into. But maybe you feel like that train might not be headed anywhere good in the future. Maybe better to be somewhere off like Spotify, especially if it comes to the tune of just a incredible like super villain amount of money all right last question this week comes to us from nobby buckles who writes i'm probably telling on myself a bit by admitting that i want to see this fight but think about it a legendary power puncher against a serious wrestler with enough experience to possibly keep his chin down and his head moving toss aside the size difference and the little bit of age difference and you're right back to the roots of mma so who you got Tito or Iron Mike? I'll take my answer <laughs> off the air. Appreciate all the content. Stay healthy and safe. Uh, ben, did you see this on? Uh, here's I, I first encountered this story on MMA Junkie uh, this morning when I was looking around at headlines, and I, as I was I, like, it's in the top carousel on MMA Junkie. It says Ortiz colon I've been contacted to fight Mike Tyson, and I was I was eating my oatmeal this morning. And then when I saw that headline, I said to myself, no, you didn't out loud. No, you haven't. No, you haven't been. Uh, are you buying this even for a second? First of all, shout out to Nobby Buckles. I see what Nobby Buckles did here and I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Um, no, no, I'm not buying this. I'm not buying it for a second. No, thank you. You don't, think, you don't think this is a real thing that could happen, even in a world where we've already seen such fights as uh, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. You don't think that this is a thing that could actually happen. I also heard some people talking about uh, Mike Tyson versus Vanderlei Silva in Bare Knuckle FC. So we're well, just Bare Knuckle FC is probably not going to be able to scrape together the money, right? But maybe somewhere out there in the on this planet of Earth, maybe there is a promoter that can get this thing done. I mean, Bare Knuckle FC, they're the kings of being like, hey, we offered this guy $20 million that we definitely totally have. And we, we have it right here in a briefcase. Just don't flip through any of the bills. Just take our word for it that the, the denomination you see on top, that's the right one. Like they, they love to do that kind of stuff. And that's what this feels like to me. Like that's all, that's all it is. Yeah. I don't know why we're – this is just prime just saying stuff. Hashtag just saying stuff. Well, anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss. On all the days that we're not recording the podcast, stuff always happens, news always breaks. The newsletter itself is short, it's informative, we would love to tell you it's funny, and it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. 
Ben. I honestly don't know how we continue to let Conor McGregor do this kind of stuff in the MMA world, but there he is over the weekend getting aggressively online, going to his Twitter account and posting what he calls in all caps, GOAT THREAD. Okay, yeah. He lists uh, his his greatest of all time in MMA in, in an ordered list, beginning with Anderson Silva at number one, the MMA GOAT, uh, and then number two, I'm number two, if not tied for number one. Uh, he says, however, still active, number one is fully secured by career end and easily. He goes on to uh, talk about a, a wide variety of stuff here, PEDs, uh he just makes he's making the case for himself as the greatest of all the time of all time by the time he he uh, calls it quits on his career he says GSP is third John Jones is fourth maybe tied for third uh Conor McGregor is is he's just messing with us here man probably saying stuff that he actually believes but at the same time you know doing the thing that we know Conor McGregor does keeping himself in the news uh kind of needling other fighters into into participating in this kind of stuff. And man, one more time, this has worked. He gets John Jones fired up about it, tweeting at him. He's got uh, Nate Diaz, I believe, tweeting about this stuff. I just saw today Ben Askren is on there, uh, just kind of pontificating as he does these days about who is the greatest of all time. We know that the greatest of all time debate in MMA is one that, that, for lack of a better term, always gets clicks. And Conor McGregor is playing to that here. But Ben... This is ridiculous, is it not? Okay, you said that he probably believes it. That's the that's where I get confused. Uh, does he really believe it? Like, do do you do you think that he sits down with his phone or his computer or whatever and goes, "All right, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna rile up these rubes on the internet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a goat thread, all caps goat thread." And list myself number two, if not tied for one. And then I'll just wait and let the replies roll in and watch everybody get themselves all worked up. And it'll be mission accomplished. Or is he like, you know what I bet people would really enjoy is hearing my very sincere and well thought out remarks about who the goat is. Like, Which one of them is it? I don't think Conor McGregor is out here tweeting a lot of stuff by accident. And I think... You know, while on one end, I think that we have given him way too much credit in this sport as being a quote unquote promotional genius at times over his career, it has felt like, you know, Conor McGregor has done or said something stupid. And the response from some people in the MMA bubble has been, has been to sort of be like, oh, Conor McGregor does it again, controlling the narrative. Here he is taking over all these headlines once again, when really he's just like kind of popping off at the mouth. I think something like this, he knows full well what he's doing. And while, Conor McGregor probably truly believes deep down in his own brain's heart that when it's all said and done, he will be regarded as the greatest MMA fighter of all time. He's also just pushing buttons here, man. He's he's sticking the knife in and turning it a little bit in a way that I think is uh, specifically designed to get a response and maybe to get a response from some of the biggest power players in this industry. Uh, maybe he didn't quite expect John Jones to take to it like he did, but like clearly he knows he's going to get media attention from this. He knows he's going to get fan attention from this. And he probably knew that there was at least a possibility that some of his peers, some of the other fighters out there would reply to this 
and would you know keep Conor McGregor top of mind in a way that that you know maybe he wouldn't be otherwise. You know, and he picked a good weekend for it. There's no MMA going on. There's no UFC this weekend. So he gets on the, the Twitter, and it totally works. I mean, you're right about that. All these people jump on it. Fellow fighters, fans, media people, everybody just – everybody does what they're supposed to do in response to this one. And that's the part, I guess, that amazes me is how just easily and consistently it works. Because I feel like it should Especially now. Like at this point, we should be wise to this, right? We should, especially when you get to the point when the point of the thread where he uh, tweets, and I'm only warming up. Are you, though? Are you? Because I don't know if it feels that way. It feels like what you're doing is you're just you're stringing some people along on Twitter, trying to get yourself in the conversation, trying to let yourself not fall ever too far out of the conversation. And then it totally works. Then afterwards, everybody's talking about like, okay, hey, maybe uh, Conor McGregor versus uh, – uh, Kamara Usman, like we start throwing that stuff around, like, and I'm just like, it's one of those "am I taking crazy pills" moments for me because I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how we got here. Yeah, you got uh, Habib Nurmagomedov firing back. You tapped out at featherweight. You tapped out at lightweight. You tapped out at welterweight. You've never defended a title in the UFC or Cage Warriors. You gave up more than GSP, Spider, and Bones all together. Your greatest UFC. Fighter, uh, you're the greatest UFC fighter in Twitter history, uh, says Habib. You got John Jones out here telling him, uh, you know, maybe you should try to defend a title first. He's posted a list of most wins in UFC title bouts with the uh, with the message "Go where you at, Shamrock Shrug emoji." So, uh, and Jones actually, to his credit, uh, I like that he says back on May 23rd, a couple of days ago, he tweets, "Damn, how did I go from Francis to Connor?" <laughs> so like John Jones, while playing along, he he kind of understands the ridiculousness of what what he's involved in here. Well, somebody was asking me in the mailbag today, like, hey, Ali Abdelaziz gets on there and he's trying to match make his way into his preferred scenario where he's like, Oh, hey, how about uh Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, they can have a rematch, and then Conor McGregor he can fight Kamaru Usman for the 170-pound title. And I'm going, what? what is wrong with you guys? What is wrong with everybody? Why, can we, why do we do all this BMF title stuff? Do we do the BMF title thing just so like nine months later without either one of them ever fighting anybody else again? We just turn right around and have Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal like two again? Like I felt like we, we kind of – we saw what we needed to see there and we could move on. And the fact that like it's been all this time – and we don't just go ahead and book Jorge Masvidal versus Kamaru Usman and just put that together for the as the title fight. I don't know. It just feels like there's some of these moves right in front of us about what should come next that seem to me at least like one thing logically flows from the other, and it feels like everybody's overthinking it or just trying to trying very hard to think their way around it to some other outcome. Yeah, and this is 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 it possible at some point that we have crossed over from just sort of spitballing greatest of all time lists into something that could actually be a potentially real UFC matchmaking scenario because you just look around at, at sort of, especially at 170 pounds, what's been going on with the with the title picture and Jorge Masvidal and Kamaru Usman and Nate Diaz now and what we will end up doing next. And like you said, it feels like we should have had a decision by now, right? It feels like one of these fights 
should have been on the books, especially considering how hard the UFC has been working to to fill up these fight cards amid the pandemic. Especially with Masvidal, we've heard a number of different rumors like maybe he would fight Usman for the title, maybe he would fight Conor McGregor, maybe now he's interested in a Nate Diaz rematch, which makes zero sense to me. But like, it kind of feels like the silence that we've heard in terms of actually getting something done is maybe a where there's smoke, there's fire type situation. Because if we weren't going to do something crazy like uh, Usman versus McGregor and Masvidal versus Diaz, like, wouldn't we have done something by now? Wouldn't a decision have been made? Wouldn't we have something out in public that, that there were bout agreements or contracts or potential fights for all these guys? I don't, you know, I just like to imagine UFC matchmaker Sean Shelby like hearing about the, like somebody telling him like uh, Twitter's lighting up all these guys is going out trying to fantasy match make this next step if this guy fights this guy this guy does this and just kind of like a Frankie Edgar type scenario I imagine him putting down his glasses looking up from a just oppressively large stack of papers cluttering all over his desk as he tries to figure out what he's going to do in every single division here that he's in charge of and looking up and just saying what now they're doing they're doing what they're saying what now no no I, good day close the door on your way out just an hour ago michael bisping chimes in responding to conor mcgregor he says well this one-eyed fighter you speak of actually beat your number one and he defended his belt so your logic doesn't really add up anyway have a good day hashtag facts hashtag facts okay well not bad bisping not bad at all I never want to hear any of these people involved in this conversation complain about the media and clickbait ever again. <laughs> you know what, though? I feel like you probably will. You probably will hear that. You probably will. All right, Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Chad, uh, I go and I get my cup of coffee this morning and I sit down and I pull up the UFC rankings page. Like you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Start your day off right. What I see there is I see first they've got men's pound for pound. You got John Jones at the top there, followed by Khabib and Stipe. Then you got flyweight, and it's like just a blank white screen. Then you got bantamweight, blank white screen with the rankings below. Then it goes to featherweight, and you got a picture of Alexander Volkanovsky there as a champion. And for a moment there, like for a stupid Early in the morning moment, I was looking at it and my brain goes, oh, wait, those pictures aren't loading for some reason. Like this, the, the website must be loading slowly. It's loaded the John Jones and the Alexander Volkanovsky pictures. It just hasn't loaded the, the flyweight and the bantamweight champion pictures. And then I realize, oh, wait, that's because Triple C done retired. Yeah. He, he vacated the flyweight belt and then now has apparently officially vacated the bantamweight belt, having said that he's retired. So I guess this week, are you fucking kidding me? We're really just going to go ahead with this, huh? We're really just going to just go to go for, we're going to take, take him off the website and just move on that easily, huh? Not even going to, not even going to talk to the guy. Not even going to see if we can't work something out. Not even going to see if we get one of the, you know, whether you like him or not. One of the best fighters we have in this sport, Olympic champion, two division champ. We're not even going to see if maybe we can talk about him sticking around. Are you fucking kidding me? Just giving it up and going, all right. Peter Yan versus whoever. You guys figure it out. Business as usual. Fucking kidding me. You're fucking kidding me. It's not real until they take you off the website, man. Once they take you off the website, it all just, it really hits hard. Yeah, no, it really does. 
Well, Ben, we've got several MMA people out here getting suckered in by fake stuff over the last couple of weeks. You see this? People in the MMA sphere that I really want to like, but they are making it extremely difficult. First, Jorge Masvidal posts a fake Kurt Cobain quote about how someday people will elect a a president who's an outsider, a businessman who can't be bought, somebody like Donald Trump. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, that sounds exactly like what Kurt Cobain would say. Right. Kurt Cobain would have definitely said that. Corporate cheerleader. Kurt Cobain definitely sounds like something he would say. And then you got Mike Winklejohn, Ben, goes on Instagram and posts a fake Hitler quote, making it look like uh, uh, Hitler was super into social distancing and lockdowns or, or something like that. Uh, And to top it off, this is my favorite part. Not only is it a fake Hitler quote, it was accompanied by a fake Hitler picture, not even a real picture of Hitler on this meme. I believe it was David Cameron made up to look like Hitler. A fake picture of Hitler, regardless of what your political beliefs are and, and, you know, whether you're making good choices for the future of this world. Can we try to keep it to the real stuff? I mean, I guess in the words of the great Nathan Donald Diaz. Can we quit playing with the fake shit? Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, wait, are you? Is your complaint here? You want to see real Hitler quotes and real Hitler pictures? That's- I mean, if that's the direction you're going with your social media, yeah, like don't don't be publishing made up stuff. If you're gonna have a, if you're gonna stake out a position, base it on real shit. Chad don't be Dundas. out here making up your fake Kurt Cobain quotes and whatnot. Chad Dundas wants real Hitler or no Hitler at all. I mean, yeah, if, we're gonna, if we have a choice, let's just get some real stuff, man. Verifiable facts. Hashtag facts, as Michael Bisping would say. Just, you know, it's like Julius Caesar once said, fact check your shit before you tweet. Hashtag facts. Hashtag facts. All right, that's going to be for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Chad, allow me to read you a quote from one Dana White on the subject of Fight Island. Quote, okay, I'd love to hear it. People are very intrigued by Fight Island, and I'm excited for it. Right now, we're looking at June, and we're literally going to knock out three or four events there in a month. And I'm going to stay on the island for a month. I'll probably be there the whole month of July. So Dana White, eccentric, mega-wealthy fight promoter, is just going to relocate to Fight Island and hold events there on a private island, fully uh, just rounding out his transition to supervillain and just bad guy in a kung fu movie. And yet, round about the same time that we're still being told to really gear up for Fight Island, summertime is when it's really going to happen. Dana White's just going to become a full-time Fight Island resident, at least for the month of July. We're also hearing that the United States government is going to ease uh, restrictions on international travel for pro athletes from other countries so that they can come in and get back to work in pro sports, our most essential business of all. Uh, Especially big news for someone like, you know, the NHL, whole lot of foreign athletes in the NHL, but also potentially if this ends applying to the UFC, a big deal for the UFC. 
are we even going to need Fight Island? Are we just is is the government going to make it so that you don't need to run off to a, a private island? Are we just is the UFC Apex going to become Fight Island? And if so, will that be a kind of a disappointment for all of us who actually did maybe want to see the UFC go full bow dog with it and get out there on the beach with a cage? I mean, this guy sounds like just somebody who's he's excited to plan his vacation, right? Doesn't doesn't Dana White just sound like a guy who doesn't want to be at home for a while? We're gonna spend oh, the yeah. entire month of July out there at Fight Island. Yeah, just sitting there with a umbrella drink in his hand and somebody waving a breeze at him with a palm frond. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a bummer, right? If you are this multimillionaire, you go through all this trouble, all this rigmarole of of renting a private island, getting it set up uh, with the proper infrastructure so you can have your mixed martial arts tournaments in international waters. And then suddenly the U.S. government is going to pass these rules and make it seem like maybe you don't need this private island at all. Yeah. And then does Fight Island join Zufa Boxing in the list of much ballyhooed UFC ideas, ideas that even got t-shirts before they became realities and then just kind of faded away from you. Is that where we're headed? One of the questions I think here is like, are we too, are we too far down the path toward fight Island? Isn't that one of the things that we need to decide here? Like uh, if we have already spent a bunch of money renting this, I mean, if the Island is rented, Ben, you need to have the fights on the Island, right? Are we too far down the path renting the island, building the, the infrastructure, building whatever giant cabana Dana White is going to stay in for a month. Are we already too far down that path to pull the plug now? Do we have no choice but to forge ahead with Fight Island? I mean, it is kind of a big deal, like to get a bunch of infrastructure built and get a bunch of people off to a private island. So if it ends up being a situation where you don't actually have to do it, I don't know if something like that is really worth doing just so you can say, look, we did what we said we'd do even after we no longer needed to. I mean, it is, they have talked about how expensive it will be, right? That was like one of the main talking points around not only going down to Jacksonville for a week to do all these coronavirus tests, but also like going out to Fight Island. We were talking about what the expense was going to be. Uh, we're basically telling Francis Ngannou and John Jones we're not going to pay the money to have those guys fight. Uh you're right. Like if Fight Island doesn't make any financial sense and now you are living in a world where at least for the time being, you don't have to do it. Like why do Fight Island at all unless you're doing it just because you think it's cool or because like you have, like I said, you've already, you're already sort of pot committed. Uh, you've already spent so much money on it that, uh, that you gotta, you gotta end up going through with it. Yeah. Well, and then it does kind of get you into like, we you can start start already to see the signs of strain uh, on the UFC's upcoming event schedule about how far we can push this with just domestically available fighters. We are yeah. starting to see the limits of that. So it does seem like you got to get something going on to help you out here, whether it's the government easing travel restrictions and you can get start to get some of these people in, or whether it's taken off to an island. I can start to – you look ahead for a few fight nights from now and you get to the point where it's Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo as uh, your main event for a uh, fight night in, in like mid-June. And that's when you go, OK, maybe it does matter if you can't get some of these fighters from other countries in here because we're running out of stuff. Yeah. This was also not the only uh... – Dana White business move story to break this week, Ben. Did you see this rumors out there on the internet that he wants to buy the Palms Casino, a longtime hotspot where Dana White has liked to play blackjack. 
I believe he's actually been banned from the Palms a few times because he has taken them for so much money. Yeah, the but banned and then let back in like over and over again, I think. Well, you can't you can't keep a whale out forever, man. No. You just got to refill the coffers and then let them back in here. Uh, I believe the Fertitas own the Palms at this point. And, and the stuff that I was reading says the Palms is not for sale, but the Dana White just kind of wants to uh, – wants to buy it or buy a casino. Speaking of completing his his metamorphosis into a supervillain, I got to think, you know, becoming a casino, a full-on casino magnate is probably also on the list right behind own private island. Yeah. And also kind of gets you back to the question of uh, UFC fighters are calling up being like, hey, can we discuss a possibility to pay me more money to go do this huge fight that everybody wants? And the answer comes back, no, we cannot even discuss that. Meanwhile, the boss is trying to buy a casino. Yeah. The disparity is pretty stark between fighters and management there. Maybe we go full-time doing events at the Palms if it's under the auspices of Dana White Casino Enterprises. You know, the Palms always seemed to me like one of those places where it was – it had a real moment in the MMA Vegas scene. Like where there was a a couple years there where the Palms was the place to be. Yeah. And and then that moment was over. Yeah, I got to be honest. I think even in my times of, of going to Vegas more regularly when I was traveling to events, I don't think I ever made it out to the Palms because the Palms is it's like it's a little bit off the strip, right? Yeah. Or like yeah. way down at the end of the strip at least. Yeah, no, I think it's off the strip and it is it, – yeah, it's not like – just one of the places that you walk by if you're doing the regular Vegas stuff. You kind of got to make a point to go there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I never saw really the big appeal of the Palms. Although it is – like you say the words Pearl at the Palms and I get Spike TV flashbacks. I can hear Mike Goldberg's voice in my head. Just, that all comes flooding back. <laughs> yeah, you want to watch uh, Sam Stout versus Spencer Fisher or something like that? There you go. I think I, I did. See, I, I think I saw Spencer Fisher and Dennis Seaver fight one night at the Pearl of the Palms. Just and also that was the same one I mentioned this before, where the arena is so small at the Pearl of the Palms. Flava Flav was there, and people in the crowd were shouting like questions to him. They're like, "Where's this guy who you hang out with?" And Flava Flav could hear him and was shouting back, "He's at the movies with his wife," <laughs> like shit like that. <laughs> A unique viewing uh, experience. Did you take in any of this celebrity golf event that was over the weekend? Because Dana White put a big bet down on that. No, what, what was his bet? Uh, I believe he put fifteen grand on Phil Mickelson and uh, and uh, Tom Brady. Well, you know he's going to bet on Tom Brady, right? Hometown yeah. guy, uh, probably close personal friend. And had to go. Uh, they did not win. I don't think he was able to cash that bet. But like you know, we're always saying if you got twenty dollars, you never want to see again. I was actually looking at this bet when Dana White put it in. I was it was like he bet fifteen thousand to win forty thousand or something like that. And I was like, you know what? That's actually not a bad bet. Like if I if I had fifteen thousand dollars, I never wanted to see again. I might throw it down on Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady too. You know, it's funny that you say that about how if you had fifteen thousand that you never wanted to see again. Because I was just looking and seeing uh, Brian Caraway was on Instagram trying to GoFundMe money uh, for his mom's funeral. I um, think he needs like ten dollars to $12,000, attempting to reach $12,000, what I read. So I don't know. Maybe if I had fifteen grand, I didn't want to see it again, I'd uh, give it to Brian Caraway so he could bury his mom. Anywho, that's just me, I guess. You know what? We're out here trying to have a fun round two on this show. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just saying. Bringing up Brian Caraway's GoFundMe for his mom's funeral. It is stuff like this that makes it such a stark divide between, like, that you can fight in the UFC for years. You can go out there and bleed, get your face smashed, all that kind of stuff. You you still end up uh, needing help to fund like a funeral for your mom. Meanwhile, Dana White has this money where he's just like, I don't know, might blow some money on a celebrity golf tournament this weekend. Who knows? Well, you're bringing us down, folks. Just systematically, consistently bringing us down. Somebody has to. I guess that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Ben, we're recording this on Monday, May the 25th, and two days from now, I'm seeing, the Nevada State Athletic Commission will meet May 27th to discuss its plan to get UFC, MMA, and boxing events back on the docket there in the state of Nevada. I'm going to make a final decision on whether or not those sporting events can go forward and under what special conditions here amid the pandemic. However, as we were chatting about off air, it seems like maybe that decision has already been made because UFC Fight Night 176 is booked for May the 30th at the Apex Arena. There was some discussion that this could go down in Arizona if Nevada was not quite ready to uh, to open up yet, but those talks have died down. Just looking at the Wikipedia page, looking at all the stuff the UFC is saying as it confirms this complete card, definitely seems like we're planning to stay home in Las Vegas and do this at the UFC-owned Apex Arena. So kind of seems like maybe the fight promotion a little bit ahead of the the curve in terms of what, uh, what we know publicly or what we can bank on publicly at this point. Or at least they're very optimistic. You're going to go ahead yeah. and schedule this event and seemingly have it all lined up, ready to go when the decision is at least technically yet to be made. I guess maybe you're just you're choosing hope. You're, you're choosing to believe in the power of positive thinking. Yeah, I doubt that's the case. I don't think we are. Uh, I don't think we're risking UFC Fight Night 176 on the uh, on the power of positive thinking. This one also, I think, going to be on ESPN. Right? This is UFC on ESPN nine now. Uh, Main card headlined by former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley going up against Gilbert Burns. Then you got Blago Ivanov against Augusto Sakai. Welterweight fight Kevin Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez. Roosevelt Roberts versus Brock Weaver. And then women's strawweight fight Mackenzie Dern versus Hannah Cyphers is your main card. Kind of a weird matchup as the featured prelim Caitlin Chukagian against Antonio, Antonina Shevchenko, excuse me. Uh, so we're going to, uh, we're going to make poor Caitlin Chukagian fight bullshit Chanko sisters back to back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the main yeah. event here, Ben. I, I, by the way, I hear if uh, if she doesn't win this one, then she has to fight the Shevchenko's mom. Okay. Just we're yeah. going to go through the whole family, the whole yep. family tree? That's the way it works. Yeah. It's in her contract. Main, main event here, Tyron Woodley uh, versus Gilbert Burns. It's been a long time, seemingly, uh, since we saw Tyron Woodley little bit over a year since he fought Kamaru Usman at UFC 235. There's been a lot of talk at, you know, about what might be next for him. We talked about Leon Edwards for a while. Uh, we had a, a rematch with Robbie Lawler, I think, was on the books for a time. Now we're going to do Gilbert Burns, seemingly uh, more out of necessity than anything else. Gilbert Burns rolls in a winner of five straight. You'll remember he just TKO'd Damian Maya in, uh, in March 
in a fight that I know probably uh, tore your heart out. Got a performance of the, night, uh, of the night bonus. Uh, Gilbert Burns, he seems to have come from nowhere in a way to become a welterweight contender here. What do you make of this matchup between Tyron Woodley and Gilbert Burns? I think stylistically, it's still kind of tough for Gilbert Burns. Like this is one that I think Tyron Woodley should win if he shows up focused and ready to go and all that stuff. And honestly, it seems like a must win for Tyron Woodley. If he's going to get back in that conversation at all and not just going to fade away, you got to beat Gilbert Burns here, right? This is this is not the one that you can afford to lose. Gilbert Burns, I think, you know, it'd be really nice for him to win. It'd be really really boost him up and, and get him to be a serious contender in the division if he wins it. But if he loses it, you know, he's still kind of right around where he already was. Tyron Woodley, on the other hand, he's got to win. Yeah. Well, and like I said, uh, Gilbert Burns, this guy, the guy has actually been in the UFC for quite a long time, since 2014, and, and you know, has a very good record, even just promotionally. 18-3 and three overall, all three of those losses in the UFC. But maybe because of those three losses, a guy that we looked at, and thought maybe we knew what he was capable of. He lost his most recent loss was to Dan Hooker back at UFC 226 in, in 2018. But after uh, you know flirting around with the light the lightweight division, he's back up at welterweight now. He's won several fights in a row. He seems like kind of a surprise contender to me. It seems like uh, this is a matchup that I wasn't really expecting. Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. Clearly, there's a, a bit of a of a difference there when you talk about. Uh, you know, maybe fighting Leon Edwards for a potential number one contender fight, or maybe fighting a guy who's really well known and Robbie Lawler, Gilbert Burns seems like a, a different kind of opponent to me. I was wondering, do you think that this is uh, a strategic move on the part of matchmakers to try to give Gilbert Burns a fight that, like, maybe if he wins it, he's really kind of made his bones as a welterweight contender? At the same way, we find out at the same time we find out if if Tyron Woodley still has a lot left in the tank, or is this just like sheer? opportunity that that we are back amid the pandemic we are trying to get back to business as usual we have this schedule that we're going to try to keep up and hey here's welterweight tyron woodley and welterweight gilbert burns they can just go ahead and fight each other yeah i think it's mostly that one i think i mean i'm sure that there's it's strategically it makes some sense when you look at where they both are that you can say okay yeah i could talk myself into thinking that this is a fight between a former welterweight champion and a guy who's making some moves and making some noise in the welterweight division but also it has the added bonus that they're both available, that you can get them both in the cage together in the United States on a predictable timeline and not have any huge problems with it. And that, I think, is its main appealing feature right now. It's interesting to think that you know if you've listened to this show over the last several years, and even I guess if you've paid attention to MMA over the last several years, one of the big either criticisms or suggestions that people – have made over the the life of the Fox deal and now into ESPN is that we've started to deal with this oversaturation, this problem of oversaturation, where fight cards aren't as deep as they once were. Clearly, the you know the talent pool is spread a little thin just because we're, we are we're making our money by doing a certain number of events for a TV station now instead of like making our money trying to put on the best fight cards that we possibly can, and that's really changed the nature of the sport, changed the fabric of what we're dealing with here in mixed martial arts. Now that we segue into this even more changed environment where we are struggling just to put on events during this, this unprecedented public health crisis where everything is kind of seemingly up in the air. Is this, do you think that this UFC fight night 176 card, which has Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns and has some known names on it. We ran through the main card. Of course you got people like Tim Elliott and Louis Smolka is on here. Uh, 
again, the, the sister of uh, Valentina Shevchenko, Antonina Shevchenko is on here, Mackenzie Dern, uh, some people that we know from the, from the Dana White contender series, but otherwise like kind of a, uh, a middling card, I guess you would say, not necessarily a lot of, uh, real relevant stuff, stuff that's relevant to a lot of uh, title pictures or any kind of like linear storytelling. Is this a preview of what we're going to get moving forward? And, and then it's just in some ways feels like a random collection of strangers who will all fight each other on this night. You know, I think maybe it depends a lot on if you can start to get some of the foreign fighters in here that, because otherwise I think definitely that's the direction we're trending, right? Like you look at the, the UFC 250 card. I know when people saw the kind of what the full lineup started to look like there for the pay-per-view uh, on June 6th, a lot of people were going, wait a minute, are you sure that this is a pay-per-view? And I actually think that one is, is fairly decent when you think of it in the aggregate. I mean, Amanda Nunes versus uh, Felicia Spencer is not a star studded pay-per-view main event or anything. I mean, I do think it's worth noting that you have the best, women's fighter in MMA history on there. So, and also the only two division champ that actually defend titles in two divisions and actually seems interested in going back and forth and doing that. But I can understand how people are going like, yeah, I don't see like the $65 value in that fight alone. But like when you look at the whole main card and you go, okay, it's a, it's a pretty solid overall thing. But then when you look at the fight night events on either side of it, that's when you start to go, hmm, that's where the weakness is really starting to show. Especially like I mentioned that one the, the following week where it's Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo. I mean, that's one where when I, when I saw that one was announced as the, the main event there, I thought it was a typo. Like that's – at that point, you're just looking at the fight card and going like, all right, we got to pick one of these fights to put on last. And so we'll just find this one. I versus Calvillo. Fine. Whatever. Like that's you're not really putting any extra effort into making it seem like the main event is especially more interesting or more compelling in some way than all the rest of the fights because it's not. And that I think is what you're going to look at if you don't have the ability to start get the whole UFC roster back into play here. You just can't keep up that pace of events with the just domestically available roster right now. Yeah, even over on the UFC 250 card, I think you've only got five fights officially confirmed, right? Like we have a we have a main card essentially, but we've got some announced got some announced bouts, but I don't know that everything has been quite confirmed. And the UFC Fight Night 176 card was just confirmed today or yesterday by the UFC. So uh, kind of dealing with the last minute. And I don't know if this maybe this is the new normal during moving forward, but just sort of like a, a last minute feel to all of this stuff where uh, we don't necessarily know what the full cards will be until uh, you know maybe fight week for all we know. Just kind of crazy. Like the need is, is. that we, we've got to do these fights. We've got to deliver the content and who's actually going to be the people in the cage fighting. You know, we'll, we'll think we'll get to that. We'll figure that out sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, did you see this? Uh, John Jones's manager, Abe Kawa went on uh, MMA junkie radio uh, to talk about the Francis Ngannou fight, the potential Francis Ngannou fight. We, we talked about this a lot on Friday during the Power Hour. This uh, the seemingly like short and wondrous life of John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, which was all the rage for about four days, and then quickly fell apart when John Jones sort of live tweeted his negotiations or non-negotiations, as the case may be, with the UFC. Uh, this one just made me sad again, man, because MMA Junkie Radio asks Abe Kawa if this fight is dead, if it's still possible, like how how everything went, and his reply was. Well, I mean, it's always possible. It could, you know, it could happen at any time. We just need to get the right offer. And I got to say, I'm starting to get a real 
vibe from this John Jones, Francis Ngannou fight. Like when my kids ask me in the middle of the day, if we're going to have dinner and then have dessert afterward. And I, and I know if I tell them we're not going to have dessert, that they're not going to like it. So I sort of, instead I tell them, I don't know, man, let's, let's just wait and see. See how this plays out. Yeah. We'll see how this, all this goes. And in my mind, I'm sort of hoping that they'll forget about it. I guess I'm just saying this week, that's the kind of vibe that I feel now off the uh, John Jones, Francis and Gatto fight. Like we're just going to take a wait and see approach and just hope we all kind of forget about dessert. I'm not going to forget about this one. No, man, this is, this is the dessert I can't forget about. Well, Chad, I'm just saying, we were just talking about everybody trying to fantasy match, make their way around the fights that seemed like the most obvious ones to make. And then I see today, Kamara Usman's up there on Twitter. He's got a Photoshop picture of himself in the cage together with Conor McGregor. Uh, it seems like he's decided to act like this is a fight that the people are really clamoring for. Uh, his tweet says, I really don't understand why you all want this man dead in all caps. I'd shag him in there if I wanted, and he'd quote, do nothing, F-O-H, mean fuck out of here, and then some kind of sleepy frown emoji. I'm just saying, first of all, we're not talking about this fight, man. Nobody is really out there trying to make this fight happen. I don't know what you're talking about. Second of all, as far as the wording here of the tweet, this one could have used another draft or two, man. Maybe I know I can understand, I guess, how this sounded pretty cool when you were just thinking about it. You're, you're typing it out. You're going, yeah, this, yeah, I'm nailing it. Uh, I'm just saying another trip or two through the typewriter for this one might have really solved some problems. I'm just saying. Just saying. Yeah, I find myself feeling very confused about how we arrived here. Like, I feel like uh, over the weekend, we were all having a nice time. You know, it <laughs> seemed like. Uh, Jorge Masvidal would probably fight for the welterweight title. Maybe Conor McGregor would fight the winner of a potential fight between Abib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. And then all of a sudden I look on the internet and we're talking about Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. And we're going to put Conor McGregor into a welterweight title fight? What? What? How, what? How do we even get here? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's a crazy world, man. Crazy world. In any case, that is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Of course, we will be back on Wednesday for the live chat over at uh, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event. And then on Friday, same place for the Power Hour. If you're not a member over there, you should definitely consider it. We keep the co-main event podcast goodness coming all week over on the Patreon. Uh, Then we'll be back again on Monday for another episode of The Proper, where we break down all the stuff that happens at this UFC Fight Night 176 card and probably look ahead to UFC 250. But as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. I like how it's during a pandemic and when we're all we've been home for months and everything is super weird. The things that the thing that makes you reflect on this crazy world is that people are talking about Kamaru Usman versus Conor McGregor. I mean, that's the breaking point. Yeah, that's that's I feel like we've lost we've lost the thread at that point. Things will never go back to normal. You're talking about Nate Diaz. Why would we have a rematch between Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal? Yeah, I don't know. And why would, why would we, we wait that? like nine months to even start talking about it? Remember we had to do like a special BMF title. The Rock yeah. was there. Those we had a good fight time. That, that one time. Yeah, we had a good time. Let's let it lie. Let's let let's not ruin our memories by trying to you know go back and do it all over again. It's not going to be the same. I don't get it, man. I just do not get it. I don't even know Buffalo Wild Wings is open. <laughs>